Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And this is the show before the show. Yay! With Andrea Gazetta. Yeah, oh, she's hey. here too. I'm, so I'm sorry. also here. I'm she's eating a breadstick. She's I'm got quiet. a garlic <laughs> twist in her mouth from <laughs> from Round Table Pizza. I'm not going to ruin Please sponsor that joke. us. Yeah, please. Come on. All the pizza places come sponsor us. You'll find out why in this episode. <laughs> so before we start this episode, we just really want to quickly thank you guys for all of the iTunes reviews you guys have been leaving us. And today, we actually have enough to read two of them. Yeah! Yeah! So the first one comes from Koopdal. Koopdal says, Great stuff! Great podcast! Keep it up, guys! Wow! No wonder we have time for two. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like that's short enough that we should read it as Charles Manson. Great stuff! Oh, God, that's creepy. Great stuff! (laughs) Great podcast! Keep it up, guys! It's almost as great as my van. Spider! When I say great stuff, I'm talking about your lady parts <laughs> and your man parts, Armando. I'm going to... Oh, God. I creeped myself. <laughs> you like, oh, God. I lost it mid-sentence. You, like, bob a man yourself. <laughs> I was, like, talking in the Manson voice and just went... <gasps> what was that? A quit monk. You've been overtaken by a spirit. The second one comes to us from Eric. And Eric says, best cult slash comedy podcast in the universe. This is the best cult-based podcast with heavy notes of comedy I have heard. I want to know the others. I want to know which others are out there. Give it a try and then find your nearest Yellow Deli location for a sandwich. It's worth your time to go listen to the older episodes since they often make callbacks. My lovely wife introduced me to this podcast last year, and I went back through all of the older episodes. Our 10th anniversary will be on March 27th, 2019. Aww. Aww. Bringing folks together. Yeah. I'm looking forward to many more anniversaries with my amazing wife. I give her five stars, too. Love you, Gretchen. Aww. Gretchen and Eric, you're our heroes. Yeah. Love is alive. I love that there was a wife review at the end of this. <laughs> and that she got five stars. Review. I was worried for a second. I'm looking to forward to many more anniversaries with my old lady. Creepy. I give her five spiders, too. <laughs> no, I'm with you, Gretchen. I don't like it. No, no. Gretchen deserves so much more than this van that we paid for with a piano. Ah, I'm getting out of here. You guys don't know how to fucking party, man. <laughs> I'm taking my ass to a round table pizza. <laughs> round table. Please sponsor my cult. All right, gotta go. All right, well, that's enough of that. Oh, uh, God. Thank you guys for tuning in, despite everything I've just said. Despite everything. So <laughs> we love you so much, and we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello. 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 Get on in there. <laughs> Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm, organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership, organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers, organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships, and organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning in to Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! Yay! And it's Armando's week again! Yeah! Hell yeah! Hell yeah, guys. Welcome back. We're uh, we're covering Joseph Coney and the LRA. Good, because I co-need more of this story. <laughs> oh, boy. A couple things that I wanted to say is that we're going to have... Um, we're going to go back in time a little bit, but it'll kind of make sense when I explain what's going on. And also, this is maybe the fifth rewrite of this outline that I've done, because prior to recording this episode, I found out that some of the information I had for this outline was wrong, because they did not keep records at this time, because it was rural Uganda, and they're really what they just didn't have a need for it. So, a lot of this stuff is just like kind of like the best of the best information I could find and use against other information that wasn't valid. And, you know, I just 
sifted through, and this is the truth that I'm pretty sure we got. So if something's wrong, fuck you. I read a lot of books. I read so many fucking books that I don't even... I have so much knowledge I don't even care to have anymore. Like, I was telling you guys I learned about the traditions of the Acholi people giving their children last names, Mm -hmm. which isn't even relevant to the story. I just know that shit now. (laughs) Too bad. So, last week we covered the history of Uganda in order to provide context to the rise of Joseph Kony. And I want to super quickly summarize the events of the last episode, because I know it was kind of a lot to unpack. Different ethnic groups near Lake Victoria competed for territory and basically got armed by foreign traders. Foreign traders bring guns, but they also bring religion. So, a religious war between Muslims, Christians, and even the Roman Catholics breaks out. Britain and the large kingdom of Buganda strike a deal and annex the entire region and call it the Uganda Protectorate. However, following independence, no group controls Uganda for very long. In 1986, Yawari Museveni and the National Resistance Army take power. While in office, Museveni attacks any groups who opposed him, including and almost seeking out the Acholi people. Rebel groups like the Holy Spirit Movement try unsuccessfully to overthrow Museveni, and he has remained in power for 33 years. So obviously we know that the leader of the Holy Spirit Movement, Alice Oma, was exiled, and the group began to follow Joseph Kony. But you might be asking yourself, who is Joseph Kony? And how did he turn a bunch of goofy, rock-throwing oily boys into one of the deadliest cults in human history? I really hope you're asking yourself that question, because otherwise there's no point to listen to this episode. That is the entire purpose of this series. I mean, the question I'm asking is, like, how did they get a good grip on those rocks when they were so oily? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm i wondering a lot of stuff that has to do with the logistics of the oil. Mainly, where were they getting the oil? I mean, my, like, I'm guessing they were just digging for it and then just being like, what's this black stuff? Rub it all on us. No, I think it, they meant, like, I was trying to look it up and I think it was, like, cooking oil and, like, uh, like body oil that they were using. But I also don't know. That was the one thing where, like, every source was, like, it was a different type of oil. Do they have, like, a romantics out there? Or they could say, like, <laughs> yeah. Is this, <laughs> or is this a candle they have, situation? They have, a, they have, like, a Conrad? Obviously like, not, what? because... Because they would have gotten a lot more damage done with those rabbits. Aww, <laughs> just throwing those. Aww, I'm just saying it, it's hard to fight when you're coming all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just now I'm just picturing this entire thing as like lubed wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just a pudding fight for Uganda. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. <laughs> God, that's I mean, how we should have wars. We should have our slipperiest men or women. I, I won't judge. How do you win the title of slipperiest man? <laughs> As a woman, I've always imagined war to be just a group of sweaty, oily men. That is how it looked like, in Troy rolling and around. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> God, you guys make war sound so hot. (laughs) Joseph Kony was born in the 1960s. And depending on where you look, it might say July of 1961 or April of 1963. And because of the lack of records that I was talking about, no one really knows for sure. I really went out of my way to try and figure out when he was born. And based off of interviews with family, friends, and former followers, I'm pretty sure that he was actually born sometime in 1968 regardless it doesn't matter he slipped right out because he was the most <laughs> slipperiest boy it was like the easiest delivery possible that's how they knew he was the one to lead the army they were like oh the slipperiest boy yeah, yeah. i mean the hardest part was catching him because <laughs> like that slippery you got some speed on you coming out of the yeah. tunnel heard he slid all the way to the top anyway <laughs> Regardless of the fact, though, he was definitely born into the newly independent Uganda. He and his family lived in a three-hut settlement attached to a small plot of farmland in the small far north village of Odek. And for reference, Odek is its like a small little farming village. The, the best example is it's kind of like the suburb of the much larger Gulu. And the, and the city of Gulu is a major village where last week Alice Uma, that's where she went. That's where she went to go talk to like those hurt animals in judgy ass water. Oh. That's the city. Okay. Gulu, okay. our water fucking hates you. Come, <laughs> come Gulu, in. Gulu, come have your mental breakdown and talk to our animals. <laughs> 
Coney's father, an Acholi man named Celio Abel, was a farmer who spent most of his adult life serving both Britain and Buganda during colonial times. Because like I said, those two kind of struck up an agreement and the, the agreement was like, hey, why don't we make everyone slaves? And so it was kind of a, I was going to say it's kind of a, but it's, that would be kind of an understatement. It was definitely a dick move. <laughs> but it just kind of like a collaboration, kind of yeah. like, like, like a gnarled. It was like a SoundCloud <laughs> mixtape of sadness. That's what it was. I love your hot takes. Slavery, a dick move by Slavery, Armando Torres. A dick move. But it, suffice to say, he was not a huge fan of Britain or their culture. But in a surprise twist, I didn't see coming. So you know those, you know what weeaboos are, right? Yes, I do. Those dudes who are like way too into Japan. I don't know what the correct term is for other countries, but Coney's father, Celio Abel, was a a hardcore fan of Italy. Of Italy? Of okay. Italy. An Italophile? Okay. Yeah. Call me. I'm Italian. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Lasagna. <laughs> As a young man, he had been introduced to and fallen in love with Italian culture that was brought over from the Roman Catholic missionaries. Remember how we fucking shit on them last week? What kind of culture did they bring, though? They were like, we all wear robes and talk with our hands and all we eat are these salty crackers and wine. <laughs> salty like crackers is a perfect description for the Italians, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are a salty bunch of crackers. <laughs> We're the saltiest of crackers, I also like I how, would say. So you guys can't hear it because it's a podcast, but as soon as I said Italians, they both started shaking their hands <laughs> and going, hey, 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 I'm Italian, it's okay. Lasagna, yeah. touch boys, Roman Catholic Church. Mozzarella. Okay. I feel like I look kind of like a crab. <laughs> <laughs> like a salty crab. Crabs, the Italian of the sea. Anyway. <laughs> They kind of are. They're just like short and stocky and they're always mad about something. That's just, my dad. They're always kind of like like wobble walking, like they're drunkenly walking away from an argument where it's just like, hey, respect hey, to your family. Hey, get back here. Hey. <laughs> the Roman Catholic missionaries were Italian in origin. And in fact... When the missionaries were forced to pull out of Uganda, which they had to because the Catholics didn't believe in contraceptions. Yeah, they forgot to wrap their salami. <laughs> hey! hey! Yeah, girl. He, he became so in love with Italian culture. This is real. I mean this. No Not shit. He became it. an unordained Catholic priest. Wait, unordained? Though? Yeah. And he also <laughs> changed like his-, his name to Luigi. <laughs> Joseph Coney's dad's name was Luigi Abel. Slavery. I always lose this level. You bring up a good point, which is that he was definitely not an ordained priest. And it kind of does come into play later because the way that he learned Catholicism wasn't from priests, it was from catechists. They're people that are also unordained whose entire purpose, they're basically the salesmen for Catholicism. They're Sunday school teachers yeah, they for teach, grown-ups. They teach yeah. children and grown-ups. But these ones care. specifically, the one they sent to Africa, were just meant to get you interested and then they would bring you back with them they're like, and oh, then no. change you into a Catholic. So they're like the Catholic time share people <laughs> yes they're like i want to tell you about an amazing opportunity in vatican city picture it you on vacation eternal life with a robe eat the salty cracker are you ready to sign today did you just call hey, jesus listen. a salty cracker <laughs> i mean he is italian he's not the people who killed him were whatever so luigi abel coney's dad <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I'm definitely, he has to be called. It's his name. It's only respectful. Are you sure his name's Coney and not Tony? <laughs> oh my God. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know about you, but there's a million and a half Luigi's with a son named Tony. That's hilarious. That's I'm, my new theory. Now I'm just picturing him just like leaning out of the hut like, hey, Coney, dinner's ready. <laughs> I gotta go. It's my fucking dad. Anyway. <laughs> 
Luigi Abel, Coney's dad, was said to have over 13 children with three different wives. That's pretty Italian. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't know if that was polygamy or just some Italian passion. It's just when we get our sausage. I got way too much sauce. Hey! Oh, I made we myself. We call it gravy. Oh, it's so thick. Why? <laughs> but with his wife, Nora, he fathered six children. Nora is the wife that he lived with in Odek, and Nora is Joseph Coney's mom. And of these six children, Joseph Coney was the youngest. And it's reported that upon receiving the news that Nora was pregnant with her sixth child, Luigi responded, Great, that's just a what I needed. <laughs> I gotta get out of here. <laughs> get the oil. <laughs> I'm gonna slide right on out of this. Calm this down, I'm gonna slide pound. down this plumbing tube. <laughs> <laughs> he made it to the bonus round. Uh, <laughs> It's I'm going to eat in this mushroom. He's boning everyone. <laughs> he bone the... us, bone them. Yeah. Bone everybody. Bone everybody. <laughs> All these pipes. Someone's oh, my God. He was flying down pipe to lay down that pipe. Oh, like a real plumber. Oh. By almost all accounts, Coney's childhood was relatively normal for a child in Uganda. Born to a really? Luigi. Yeah. Really? I mean... My dad's an Italian cosplayer, and my mom is just named Nora. And I am the slipperiest boy. <laughs> I mean, relatively. Normal. He did normal boy stuff, like he attended primary school in the village. He helped his father farm the crops. He played soccer. He cracked jokes with the boys. All in all, he was pretty average. But by all accounts, he absolutely blew his peers away in one way. Joseph Coney was the best dancer in the village. Hey! Oh my god, another Cut best dancer! A rug, yes. Yeah, I want to re- Italian in him. I want to reiterate: no one, and I mean no one, could nail down a fucking birth date. But everyone knew. <laughs> Every fucking interview I've ever read, every fucking book, every article is like, yeah, and as a kid, he was like the best fucking dancer. That kid on his feet, I'm telling you, was fucking wild. Well, this is like every book I read being like, pussy was Charles Manson's favorite word. Like, it was just (laughs) universally agreed on. Or every interview where it's like, pussy is Lil Wayne's favorite food. No, that's right. He could dance better and longer than anyone else in his village, and he absolutely rocked at a choli dance called Larakataka. Yeah, what does it look like? Um, it's a lot Do of... Do it for us now. Okay, ready? <laughs> hey! Oh, God! Oh. That was surprising. Yeah, yeah, it was really nimble. I can't uh, believe your feet bend like that. It's, it's worth checking out. Latakataka is sort of like a, a mating ritual, in a way, where he he was really good at it, and they said that he was the he he could dance longer and way faster and better than all of the other boys in the in the village. In Italian, our mating ritual is just making someone a lasagna. <laughs> hey, my mom made you a lasagna, so yeah. I guess we're married. Yeah. So in the beginning, like I said, Coney was just kind of a normal kid, although he was one of the very few Catholics in Odek, and definitely one of the only few with an Italian-sounding dad. <laughs> I want to I reiterate something, too, that I found, which was really funny, is that, um, so, so Coney's dad called himself Luigi, but, uh, <laughs> it's still hilarious, so, but yeah, as, still so funny. because they didn't have any records, and no one really, no one but him really understood why he wanted to be Italian, uh-huh. so, like, when other people wrote down his name, he was like, my name is Luigi, and they wrote down Luizini, <laughs> like, just couldn't <laughs> comprehend how to spell Luigi. It's like He's everyone like, tries, every time someone tries to just spell my last name. Yeah. <laughs> But it was like they didn't, they didn't, they couldn't understand the concept of a G. That was the best thing. Oh, that's really funny. Uh, so in the beginning, Coney was a normal kid, but he was one of the few Catholics. And he, this kind of did make him stand out. He wore a rosary to school every day, which stood out to all of his classmates. Okay. And even weirder, it had dice clay on it. <laughs> He called his teacher toots, and she was very uncomfortable. <laughs> and even at Catholic services, he shone brightest because he was his father's altar boy. 
And the older that Coney got, the more spiritual he became. But this became more literal than most people think, because Coney, like most Acholi people, mixed his religion with traditional Acholi spiritualism. We talked about this a little bit last week and also a little bit uh, off air, but the Acholi people believe that humans can be possessed by both good spirits and bad spirits. And this is more all-encompassing than a lot of people give it credit for, where like, Last week we said that Alice was possessed by the spirit of God. But you could be possessed by the spirit of having like a cold and that's why you get sick. You're getting possessed by a bad spirit. Or like the spirit of like, let's say a guy named Sonny who runs a pizza place just like Coney's dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or the spirit of the dance. <laughs> Michael Flatley. <laughs> yes. Good thing he didn't get into Irish culture. <laughs> this dancing would have sucked. But, I mean, this this is even, like, this is something that they use for generations in Africa, uh, even before, like, Western religion came here. Like, they just always, and this is actually how they understood white people coming here, is they were like, oh, well, they're just possessed by different spirits. And so these spirits are meeting our spirits. And hopefully they get along. Maybe they, their spirits are kind of bland. They maybe, can use some cinnamon. Maybe their spirits and our spirits get together, and maybe they play, like, seven minutes in heaven. I don't know. <laughs> seven minutes. Because it's... That's the game where you make out in a closet, but it's called Heaven and their Spirit. Fuck you guys, I'm all not, right? I'm not familiar. Ah, Jesus. <laughs> so, Coney believed full-heartedly that the spirits had a plan for him. That plan was to open a pizzeria. <laughs> <laughs> According to childhood friends of Coney, the spirits pushed him to pursue a life as a witch doctor. Oh. Yeah. Sometimes the spirits would cause him to leave school, to run off into the wilderness, and to pray for hours at a time. This is actually really good for him long term, in a way. When he would do shit like this, people in the village were like, wow, Koning's so, like, mysterious. He, like, runs off and... <laughs> I bet he, like, writes poetry. Like, he's so good at dancing. I'm just imagining someone, like, someone's teacher go class, he just gets up and just... Everyone sees him just running outside into nothing. The spirits are my hall pass. He just, <laughs> just dances away. See, I'm just picturing that he's telling everyone that he's going and praying for hours, but that he just went out into the woods and found a porno. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, like the good old Which days. Is, in like, those days, it's just animals fucking, I believe. <laughs> I mean, this was like the 70s. Okay, I mean, so full bush in the bush. Yeah, yeah, full-blown bush. <laughs> but as Coney's spiritualism grew, so did the spirit's power over him. And eventually they forced him to do things like fast and he wouldn't be able to eat anything or he would fall into violent fits of shaking i'm not going to do a speculation zone on it but it is worth noting upon is that almost every account that i've read said that coney suffered seizures as a boy oh like julius caesar oh wow yeah <laughs> julius seizures <laughs> well, but, uh, but also julius caesar. oh okay. like I was, that was an actual historical fact you're welcome oh i didn't know that i thought you were making another italian joke no so although we did find a name for that pizza place it's called <laughs> little seizures little seizures no uh caesar reportedly was epileptic uh, oh. In Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, they refer to it as uh, Caesar hath the falling sickness. So he he had seizures at some point. They seem to go away when he gets older. Uh, as Coney gets older, the seizures seem to go away. Or at least that's what's reported. Maybe they're just not talking about it. One thing that I did find is that currently, in addition to uh, type 2 diabetes... He is also suffering from stomach ulcers. And oh. I did a little bit of digging, and uh, seizures as a child mixed with stomach ulcers could be a sign of uh, a rare form of epilepsy called abdominal epilepsy. So it could be possible that he had symptoms early on, and because he's still going untreated, these symptoms uh, pop up as stomach ulcers. But I'm not a fucking doctor. Well, so it, it could also be a, a condition that changes over time. There's also a huge... Um, there was One of the biggest criticisms 
of Coney 2012 is that it took away attention from a disease called the nodding disease, which was a mysterious disease that was causing the children of Uganda to just fall into horrible seizures day in and day out. And it was, uh, they still don't truly know everything about it. But it was this thing of like, at the time when Coney was coming into prominence in in like American culture, when we were like, oh yeah, fucking stop Coney. He wasn't as active, but nodding disease was killing like thousands of children. Oh my God. So it could have been an early form of that, which was, I think it was like called black fly flu. Maybe I I didn't. Oh, where it's caused by an infection, which basically causes swelling in your brain. Yeah. So it could have been that it could have been abdominal epilepsy. It could have just been seizures. It could have been again. And I really feel like I should state this too. It could have just been him trying to look fucking cool. Cause a lot of what he does is just trying to like look mysterious and like shit like that. Because what people thought when he was having these seizures is people thought the spirits were trying to possess him. And that kind of made him special. Where people were like, wow, fuck, did you hear the spirits chose Coney? That's crazy. And so, like, First people... First draft pick. Yeah, <laughs> he, was the, he was the slipperiest boy. That's why, they couldn't, <laughs> that's why the spirits couldn't quite catch him. Yeah, they could slip right in there. Oh! Moved oh. right up. Eventually, something became very clear to Coney. If he didn't follow this path and become a witch doctor, the spirits would kill him. And that's what he believed. So he dropped out of school. And by the time he reached his teenage years, he was hailed as one of the best witch doctors around. Wow. He became a spiritual consultant. He lifted curses. He cured barren women. Whoa. And there's, like, reports of this (laughs) actually happening. I don't know what the... I mean, this stuff is all fucking, like... You know, hey, I was having trouble having a kid, and then Coney kissed my belly, and now I can do it. Doobie so. Hauser, MD! <laughs> yeah. Coney Hauser, MD. I want that show now. Uh, but There's a lot more guns than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> but there was no doubt about it that at least his reputation in the village was that he was a very successful witch doctor. Again, one of the other things that I found out, his brother was a witch doctor, and by the time he was a teenager, he was way more popular than his own older brother, who, like, had been a witch doctor for years. He's like, I'm not going to give you injections, but you are going to get shots. Hey! Hey! Because guns. Shots fired. They actually didn't have guns at this point in time. Uh, At this point in time the only weapons that they had and this is something i feel like i didn't touch on last week enough is when alice oma first started fighting people they used those rocks that they thought were like grenades Mm. and bamboo sticks Mm. so the first few battles that they won were literally with sticks and stones wow because that's how you break bones but words will never hurt you yeah no worthless (laughs) yeah but soon his peers started to move on because coney was had dropped out of school. He's becoming a witch doctor. But his friends were moving into secondary schooling in Gulu or to find factory work in Uganda's capital of Kampala. Is witch doctor the football star of his town? <laughs> <laughs> he was like the coolest. Like he peaked in high school? witch doctor going steady. We're going to go to the drive-in. You have a jacket. It's just bones. <laughs> <laughs> He let it in potions. (laughs) I mean, yeah, kind of. I dropped out of beauty school, but he's going to marry me for sure. This is a great accent, by the way. I'm upset we we haven't worked this into a character before. It's it's just like overdone Frenchie. So, I mean, in a way, yeah, kind of. He was like, he did super peak while he was, and this isn't even in high school. This is in like primary school. So this is like elementary middle school era. Bro peaked in middle school with that witch doctor business. God, can you imagine somebody who peaked in middle school? God, so many frosted tips. Oh, (laughs) Jesus. And so it seemed like everyone was starting to move on, and Coney was just kind of stuck in Odek, shaking rattles and killing goats. I read this book that was started with an interview with one of his first followers. His first follower was actually somebody he went to school with. And the guy in the book was like, the last time I saw Coney was in 1981 at our primary leaving exam, which is like the, mm-hmm. the exam before you go to secondary school. And then his first follower was like, yeah... I didn't really hang out with Coney until I came back 
because I left to go to Kampala because I didn't want to be a farmer like my family. Mm. So we're moving into the 80s where Kony was a teenager or, or becoming a young man. And people were starting to become what we perceive as more like modern and Western civilization. They were moving to big cities. They had apartments. They were like working in factories. And they loved this shit because they were like, well, I don't have to fucking farm or, or be on the land anymore. Or live next to Luigi, who just is up all hours of the night. <laughs> because they stayed in school instead of just running wildly into the bush at all hours. <laughs> but he's so much. Mysterious. Look at him. Look at him twitch. <laughs> that was until January 26th, 1986, when Yawari Museveni and his guerrilla group, the National Resistance Army, captured Kampala in a coup and took control of Uganda. Acholi soldiers, who had been appointed by the former leader, who we covered last week, that was General Tito Okello, retreated back to the north with innocent Acholi civilians following suit. But the NRA gave chase. Museveni's military began to capture and kill anyone who they considered to be an enemy to the new regime. With major cities like Kampala and even Gulu unsafe, Acholi people had to flee into the bush to hide from Museveni. So basically what we're seeing is like all these people were like, I'm going to move to the big city and get out of here. But when Museveni took charge, all those people, not only were they no longer living in a big city, they weren't even living in the biggest village. They were back living in huts. They were they they were completely reverted to their old life because the new regime took power. And so all these people thought they were making progress, but it turns out that they were just this was the start of them being like hunted for the rest of their lives. Yikes. So in April of 1986, 18-year-old Joseph Coney, the strongest witch doctor and the best dancer in all of Odex, stepped up. And I was very careful with my wording. He stepped up. <laughs> I can't yeah. wait for the streets. <laughs> yeah. He came to stomp the yard, if you will. Oh, uh, did he get served? <laughs> Well, he's here to do a little bit of serving How are his feet? Loose? Oh, oh, that was good. They definitely weren't happy feet. Uh, that's a penguin. Anyway, <laughs> Coney, Coney told his neighbors that a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, had possessed him and told him to overthrow the government. So former <laughs> soldiers, fearful neighbors, everyone gathered around as the spirit spoke through Coney. And they prepared for battle, wearing bamboo rosaries and holding rocks and sticks. But on the day they planned to leave, a storm grew on the horizon, and Joseph Coney vanished. What? His followers searched for him for three days. And when they finally found him, they found him praying on a wede hill. He told his followers not to be afraid of the storm, because the spirits told him that he could hold back the storm. And he did. He was possessed by American spirits. He went out for cigarettes. Oh! <laughs> hey. That's good. Hey. I thought he was, you were going to say he was possessed by the Weather Channel. And they were like, <laughs> no, this will pass. And also in the upper left corner, you'll see that <laughs> wars are brewing. Anyway, so Coney st- seemingly sort of stopped this storm. There was a storm that was coming that was going to hit them. And it hit everywhere except for this village of Odek. And they were completely safe. Everyone was completely sure at this moment that the spirits had chosen Coney to lead them to overthrowing Museveni and the NRA. And so Coney kind of compiled his followers into a group that he called the United Holy Salvation Army. And he was ready to take on Museveni and the National Resistance Army. So early on, Coney and his army had a lot of pretty big victories. The The first one was on Awede Hill. Something that I'm kind of leaving out is Awede Hill served as Coney's like church almost. Where he there was a spring that ran under the hill and the water would pool up at the top. And he said that it was holy water. And he so he you know how Alice Oma was like the water's a dick and the water hates you. <laughs> Coney's whole thing was like the water loves us and the water is kind. He's a very Catholic belief too is like the concept of water as a healing force it's pretty universal so the fact that alice wasn't into it is weird but yeah the only the only way that i've ever seen water being a traditional way to harm people is with alice oma or uh blastoise those are the only two (laughs) examples one of the first victories they had was they took back the major city of gulu and it was essentially a miracle because they all they had were sticks and stones and they beat an army that had guns 
They just like when they came there, the 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 enemy's guns started jamming and stuff started going weird, and everyone started chanting, and they were dressed all in white. It was just this this rumor that had spread to them that Coney was coming because Coney kind of left in this weird way, where when he left for three days, he came back before leaving to go fight in Gulu and he was dressed in all white and no one knows where those clothes came from by the way he was just dressed in all white his symptoms were gone he seemed calm and mature and the last thing he said to his father before he left forever was I am going but I will return with 50 guns which in retrospect kind of underselling himself he came back with so many more guns yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like five times that amount of guns <laughs> yeah. but at first he was like all we got is rocks and sticks I think 50 guns is a pretty achievable goal yeah yeah and really that's what you gotta do wait so oh, just real quick so this is not the same army that Alice was leading this is a different army this is a different army but there was many rebel groups okay. it's, it's less of an army they call themselves an army but essentially when he started there was including Coney about 12 people I'm just picturing his vision board where it's just like cutouts of guns and then like a pizza place and then like a bottle of baby oil <laughs> he's got the one up mushroom so he's like yeah they'll never yeah, kill me yeah, then yeah, yeah. There, there's all of these different rebel groups kind of floating around and something that we covered last week the other groups like Alice Oma's Holy Spirit movement they failed they didn't know what the fuck they were doing and they just got torn to shreds trying to achieve their goals yeah and so as those other groups fell, they joined Coney, who was proving to be much more strategic and organized in comparison to his cousin. And as Coney's group grew, he also adopted a new name, the Lord's Resistance Army, which is kind of a play on the army they were fighting, the National Resistance Army. Right. So that's where that name comes from. It was like, oh, you're fighting for the people of Uganda? We're fighting for God. <laughs> we're on a mission from God. And then he put on his uh, Ray-Bans and then started riding down the streets of Chicago. <laughs> really fast, by the way. Here's an interesting side note. It's worth noting that the reason the military side of Coney's operation was so well organized was because the religious side was becoming so successful. Because leaders of other successful rebel groups were coming to Coney in attempts to cure their injuries and illnesses after they were healed because apparently he straight up was healing people i don't know how any of this stuff was possible because it seemed like a lot of the the ways that he tried to heal people was just pouring spring water on them but he was genuinely doing it and as soon as they were healed he would make them generals in his army too so coney didn't actually know what the fuck he was doing right and in fact most generals didn't know what they were doing either they just knew more than alice oma had However, support from the locals didn't last long. In 1991, Coney was found to have been attacking non-Acholi villages in an attempt to either stage a false flag operation or just to show them that the NRA couldn't protect them. Either way, locals worked with the government to set up arrow groups, which were trained groups of village guards who had bows and arrows who their purpose was to defend the villages against the LRA. So he's essentially like... He, he would just stage attacks and either be like, the government did it. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Or he would just straight up be like, no, I did this. And this is proof that your fucking government can't help you. So join us or it'll happen again. Mm. When, when they turned against him, this was like, Coney is above all else very uh, egotistical and very quick to seek revenge. So he was not a fan of anyone even implying that they were against the LRA. By 1994, Museveni had turned most of the general population of Uganda against Kony and the LRA, which goes to show just how shitty Kony was because Museveni was still killing innocent people. Right. So he's like the worst guy. And even by his standards, he was like, yeah, but Kony's pretty shitty, right, guys? <laughs> but this dude... I mean, I guess what I'm a little bit confused by is, like, how did Coney go from, hey, I'm here to help, like, I'm here to defend us against Museveni's army, to, like, I'll also just hurting innocent people. So he, he eventually, he started getting support from the local groups, because the local groups were like, yeah, fuck yeah, liberate the Acholi people, fight back against the power. 
But the longer that this conflict went on, the more that Museveni was actually able to come to peace agreements with these different armies. So once the armies found an agreement between themselves and the government, they were like, all right, we kind of don't want no more beef. We're good. Like, they're helping us out. They're not killing us. We're fine. And he took this as like, I'm against you now. I'm with the government. So he started attacking them to show them that the government actually didn't have their backs. Because he's egotistical. Yeah, he's he's a dick. He's a huge dick. That makes sense. So his his motivations. At first, people saw his motivations as like like magnanimous. Like he's trying to help. But then they're like, oh shit. He just wanted attention and to be in charge. It's also important to remember that back in his village, uh, people were moving on. People were moving to Kampala. People were changing their lives. People were growing into like real adults. And he was just kind of here. And so when they came back, he was like, oh, running back to big boy Coney, huh? Coney's got to take care of all your fucking problems, huh? And they're like, Coney, you've really become your father. (laughs) He's just wildly moving. What are you talking about? He just turns into a crab. (laughs) And all of a sudden, it just turns to black. What? Like the end of The Sopranos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I get it. Well, reportedly, it was really easy to hear the LRA coming because whenever they were on their way, they would yell, whoa, whoa. Here. <laughs> I don't know if that's Italian or just New York. Stephanie, come <laughs> So at this point, Coney was a horrendous person. I mean, we've we we're I'm I'm I don't think anyone's doubting this that he is a piece of shit. But in the grander schemes of things, he was just a young warlord leading a radicalized group of rebels. But Museveni was making his way across Uganda and even into other countries in an attempt to solidify himself as the permanent leader of the region. One of these attempts included funding a group of rebels in South Sudan who promised to align their new regime with Museveni. But it turns out those rebels fucking lost. The, the, the government of South Sudan was not fucking happy that Museveni was trying to undermine them. So in retaliation, the government of South Sudan began arming and training the LRA. Weapons, ammunition, even troops from South Sudan made their way to the LRA. But one of the most useful things they brought was an improved hierarchy that would make the rebel group almost impossible to defeat. So we've seen the Holy Spirit army go down. We've seen the Uganda People's Army for the Democratic Republic. They've gone down. We've seen all these other rebel groups go down. And if it wasn't for this, the LRA would just be another blip on that map. But I want to remind everybody, before I talk about this for a second, there's a reason we have that these are our opinions thing on the top of the episode. I'm going to explain my understanding of the structure of Coney's army. And I'm sure that I'm getting one or two things wrong. Because if I wasn't, they'd have me in the fucking Congo finding Coney. Because right. no one knows exactly how this shit is set up. They set it up like a perfect terrorist cell organization. And then Coney just ran with it. Essentially, Coney set up a small group of major generals who act as sort of a council that advise Coney. Under the major generals, there's about three to four uh, brigadier generals who obviously fight for brigade brigadier justice. Brigadier, brigadier. Yeah, but I just wanted to say brigadier justice, like the show that Brad LaFosse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're brigadier generals who oversee the general troops. General troops kind of just there. There was about at this time when he struck a deal with South Sudan, he had about two hundred to three hundred troops. Okay. Eventually, that'll raise to the thousands. Wow. But he kept them in about groups of like ten to twenty. So they were just spread out all over. And another feature that they had that was super and still is super useful is no one actually has direct contact. So if you need to talk, if Coney needs to talk to one of his major generals, he had one messenger boy that took the message from Coney to that guy. And then he had another one that would take the message to somebody else. And then that person would run the, the a third person would run the message back to Coney. So there's no actual direct contact, and they're constantly moving where they are. So there's no way to truly get a hold of where everyone is. Huh. And it made them almost impossible to to get. 
With backing from South Sudan and the training basically making them a well-organized terrorist organization, the LRA essentially fought the Ugandan government on behalf of the Sudanese government. It was just a proxy war. It was like when we went to the Middle East and uh, basically formed the Taliban to overthrow the government for American benefits. Right. At this point, you might be thinking, well, geez, this Coney guy doesn't seem really all that bad like the coney 2012 video it made him sound like a real jerk off is he really that bad and the short answer is yeah in fact he might be the single worst living person in the world right now but what i wanted to do here was show you the background to show you that not everything is as cut and run as a newspaper headline Coney's a fucking monster, sure, but coney was initially only reacting to the mass genocide of his own people and around the late 1990s, the LRA began regularly abducting children from villages that it quote-unquote liberated. If you were a boy, you were brainwashed by Coney and made into an LRA soldier. If you were a girl, you were either turned into a comfort girl, or you became one of Joseph Coney's many wives. And when I say girl and boy, I mean children. However, being the wife of a man who thought of himself as the Messiah wasn't much easier than the other two options, because Coney would reportedly beat all of his wives if even one of them did anything to upset him, his message being that all of his wives should work together to make sure that he was always happy. Wow. And the abductions were especially brutal operations. Oftentimes the villages being quote-unquote liberated would be left destroyed or even burned to the ground. Young boys were forced to kill their own parents so that they wouldn't have a family to go back to. And on at least one occasion, a major general forced newly abducted children to eat their own parents. Good lord. And if you survived the raids, Joseph Coney would preach to you his twisted sermon telling you that you had been saved. Now, no one really knows what Coney preaches. This is, so this is, we're moving into like a speculation zone segment of like, I've read so much about what this guy fucking believes that this is my best approximation of what he's preaching. According to a report funded by the United States Embassy in 1997, the LRA has no political program or ideology, at least none that the local population has heard of or can understand, and also that its ideology remains one of the hardest to understand if it even exists. What I think is that Coney preaches a syncretic religion based on his own father's version of Catholicism, Christianity, and traditional Acholi spiritualism, along with his own fucked up thoughts. One of the only things we do know is that the group holds the Ten Commandments as the highest law in the land. They believe that all people should live their lives according to the Ten Commandments. And I think this belief comes from Coney's father's unique uh, teaching style of Catholicism. Wait, what about that commandment that says don't kill people? There's also all of the other commandments. He's broke every commandment. Yeah. He's a terrible person, but I think that the... The basis for living this way kind of comes from the way that his father taught Catholicism, which comes from what we were talking about is that he was, his father, Luigi, was turned Catholic by people who weren't priests, but rather were just kind of supposed to sell you on the Catholic lifestyle. So all they really taught was the Ten Commandments. And so all Luigi really taught was also the Ten Commandments. And so all Coney taught was the Ten Commandments. However, Coney also utilizes the Acholi spiritualist practices like claiming to be possessed by spirits. Like the Sudanese spirit, Sili Saniti, or, and this is true... He's the, real silly. He's real silly. But my favorite one is he claimed to be uh, possessed by an American spirit whose name was King Bruce. What? <laughs> Which is just like, he doesn't understand American culture. So right. he's just walking around doing a fake American accent going like, I'm King Bruce. I eat a hamburger. I mean, he's got us dead on on that. Yeah, that was pretty this good. Is, nailed exact. it. I knew King Bruce and he sounded just like that. So. <laughs> I'm oily for another reason. Oh I'm God. King Bruce. Do you think that's the Burger King's name? Oh my god, oh, King Bruce. Oh no. Brucey King. I knew a Bruce and he used to collect snakes. He was a great guy. 
How do you collect snakes? He would just go out into the grass and he would just catch snakes with his favorite pet dog. That's all he wanted to do. <laughs> what kind of fucking hillbilly Pokemon was he playing? <laughs> So, uh, Coney also believed uh, the the Christian tenets that Alice Oma believed. So, that's where you get stuff like the oil will protect you from the bullets. Mm. And make you a very slippery, slippery, oh. sensual boy. Mm. King Bruce, get over here. Give me that gun oil. <laughs> and if- These guns... <laughs> okay, I'm done. I'm sorry. No, I'm talking about these guns. And then he holds up Sudanese weapons. Uh, if Coney's brainwashing methods didn't work, the fear of death or worse would probably be enough to keep you in the LRA. Because those that were caught trying to escape were tortured and mutilated by having their lips, ears, oh, or God. even arms and legs cut off. Jeez. And a lot of these people are children. When they are all in- children. So it's, I mean... Not his higher ups, but no, like, his higher ups are also children that he. What? Yeah, the generals. The generals. Uh, initially, his generals at first were generals from other armies, but as things progressed, they started making uh, like their own moves with other generals that they used to know back in the day. And Coney thought this was like them trying to throw a coup on himself, so he had his own higher ups murdered. And he would replace them with his most loyal followers, who were children that he kidnapped, often watching them kill their own parents, just to make sure they were loyal. So you have interviews with, like, his second-in-command, who are kids that he abducted, and they're just like, yeah, I mean, I was abducted. He took me, but, I mean, like, what else am I going to do? My family's dead. If I turn myself in, they're going to kill me. So what else am I going to do, you know? So that's they just live this horribly depressed life where they know that the only I mean it's it's a terrible way to look at it but really the only good outcome for them is staying in the LRA in a yeah. way cuz otherwise they're complete they have nothing Every to Every other go option back to. is death. Yeah. Every single that's other option. Horrible. Even turning yourself in is like they're still going to put you away forever. Jeez. So on September 27th, 2005 Joseph Coney became the first man to ever be indicted by the International Criminal Court, or the ICC. Oh, man. I just had a brain fart, and I almost said the ICP. ICP? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping for We're it. fighting Woo. Coney. Woo. Woo. Family. We are fighting for the land where the Fago ever floweth. <laughs> It comes on the top. It pulls on the top of the hill. So by the- hill we mean Becky's tit. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Meet us under the drug bridge. The only thing we share with Coney is that we also want to open Little Caesars Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Little Caesars is the newest rapper signed to Psychopathic Records. <laughs> it's the only pizza place that cooks it with a strobe light. Anyway. Oh jeez, that would take so long. <laughs> It's it's the worst easy your bake oven. Pizza. It's a hard bake oven. Your a pizza, difficult bake oven. Your pizza will be ready in 17 days. <laughs> I'm sorry. We had to throw it out. This was a terrible business plan. <laughs> this is bad. Uh, the ICC is essentially a group of judges from around the world whose job is to prosecute individuals who are responsible for international crimes. So these are your, like, warlords or people who commit genocide. Like, and this stuff is coming from, uh, uh, like, off the backs. It was started in 2002, sort of in response to 9-11. It was like, we have to stop these international criminals, but if we arrest them in their own place and prosecute them there, there's no chance that they'll ever have justice. Mm. So, real quick, little seizure, stop shaking the parmesan so hard. <laughs> Oh my god! We're going to mozzarella. <laughs> they use uh, monster. <laughs> so the ICC issued warrants for Coney's arrest to the governments of Uganda, Sudan, and the Congo. Interpol backed the ICC's warrants, and the international community was super happy to lend a hand to bring down the LRA. Some members of the Acholi community were upset with the ICC's decision to try and apprehend Coney, and they they said that essentially what we should do is focus more on 
trying to have peace talks and come to a, a, a nice conclusion. But the problem was every time anyone tried to have peace talks with the LRA, they would take the money and supplies and food and then just run off and then do the same shit. So every time they tried to hold peace talks, it would just make them stronger and last longer. Yeah. It was like a, a it was like a warlord cock ring is what it was. It just made you last harder and stronger <laughs> of a hagra for the the bush. Anyway. Oh uh, god. This uh, is worse cuz it's children. <laughs> <laughs> The ICC's warrants did a great job of providing international support in order to end the longest-running conflict in Uganda's history, which is true. It definitely is. However, it wasn't until 2012 that the general population of Western civilization became aware of Kony and the LRA. Because on March 5th, 2012, a charity known as Invisible Children posted a video on YouTube called Kony 2012. And that's where we'll pick up next week for Joseph Kony and the LRA Part Three. Damn. So pretty obviously, part three is going to cover the American side of this whole thing with Coney 2012, the Invisible Children movement, and all this stuff. Because, and Paige can even tell you about this, it was more than just the one video that came out. Yeah, it was way more than the one video, and it was before 2012. Like, 2012 was when it got really popular, but, like, if you were at all like a teenager or a college kid around that time, Invisible Children was all over. I, at at the time, let's see, 2008 or nine, I guess, uh, my roommate and I kind of fallout, fallout boy all around Southern California. We went to like three or four different concerts and they were like repping Invisible Children at the time where they would play the videos at the concerts. Yeah. It was Oh my god. Yeah. And it's it's a really somber point. One of my favorite things is uh if you ever see the guy Jason who does the the Coney he was behind Invisible Children is his favorite phrase was in this cuz he's from he's from uh La Jolla. He's from La Jolla, mm-hmm. California. Oh wow. So he has this like San Diego accent. Yeah. I think that's why it was so big here cuz yeah. like we were in Orange County. Like we went and saw them yeah. in San Diego in Anaheim and then in Los Angeles and wow, yeah. you were a Fallout Boy groupie, sort of for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. I didn't know you meant you like. Fa- All right, yeah, like we went to. I've been yeah. trampled at a Fallout Boy show and I survived. I thought you meant like I followed their music. I was a fan. No, you no, followed. Them. No, we went and saw them. I think four times in one year. You were yeah. a deadhead for Fallout for Boy. Fallout Boy, yeah. <laughs> we can talk about that another time. Oh yeah, we need to. <laughs> Fallout girl. It's catchy, man. The cult of Fallout Boy. <laughs> uh, so, Fallout Boys and Girls. Uh, I, I hey. would like to. I was a Patrick fan, not a Pete fan, and I know that means nothing to you guys here, but it will mean something to some of the Fallout Boy fans out there. <laughs> Congrats to all three of you. Enjoy that. Did <laughs> Enjoy they have that. frosted tips? Okay, I don't know. No, they had uh, they had frosted tips, but they were like purple. They were scene kids. Uh, That's yeah. what I knew them for. Okay. So. I want to give us a little bit of, like, an upper because that last thing is Jason loved to say, it's a bit of a bummer. Because that's what Jason would say all the time. In, like, almost every presentation, he would go, I know, it's a bit of a bummer. I want to kind of, I want to kind of give you guys something that sort of cheers you up. A a palate cleanser, Oh, are we going to listen to Fall Out Boy? (laughs) No, that'll just bum everybody out. No, it's awesome. Well, I mean, it would make sense. They're pretty informative, too. It was through Fallout Boy that I heard about closing the goddamn door yet. <laughs> um, that's Panic at the Disco. Shit. All right. Well, scenes music is all the same. I me. also saw them in San Diego. It was a fun year. So, the reason that Interpol had to back the warrants issued by the ICC is because, to my understanding, the ICC doesn't have any real ability to go and physically arrest anyone. Yeah, job- not unless they're down with the clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They didn't have hat. They didn't have gavels. They just had hatches. hatches. <laughs> we keep chopping away at this desk. <laughs> Their job was essentially just to prosecute international criminals who couldn't be tried by any other means. Fake ass ninjas. However, this didn't stop them from coming up with plans to arrest them. Louis Moreno Ocampo was the chief prosecutor for the ICC, and in 2017. His emails were leaked, and plans that he had laid out to facilitate the arrest of Joseph Coney came into the public. And before I go any further, I need you to know, I need you to be in this with me. This is all 100% true. I'm not making any of this up. 
So here was the plan. Was he going to lure him to a Fall Out Boy concert? <laughs> Almost better. <laughs> We're going to go to Shen Yu. <laughs> Angelina Jolie. Wait, what, what the fuck? Hold and on. And Brad Pitt. What? Would fly to South Sudan. Why? Where Coney is believed to be hiding. Once there, the power couple would contact Joseph Coney and invite him to dinner. And then once Coney arrived, bam, special forces pop in and, and arrest Joseph Coney. Do they, like, have his phone number? Are they friends? Like, why would this work? No, they basically... Uh, the only like, thing, famous people can get it. The only thing that I can understand is, like, if who wanted- else understands taking African children except for Angelina and Brad? <laughs> oh! I was I was just thinking I'm like the only place where Mr. and Mrs. Smith was actually popular is in a place <laughs> where they didn't have any other movies to watch because they're just in the middle of the bush. Yo, my dad fucking loved that movie. Hey, I'm calling. Hey, Legends of the Fall. Hey. But eventually However, this plan never came to fruition. Eventually, Angelina Jolie just stopped responding to Luis Ocampo's emails. The fact that she ever responded just tells me she's bored. The well, thing is, this is all by email. She could just say she was going to be there and not be there. That's Th- the thing that none was, of this makes sense. That's the thing that stuck out to me is it was like you could just fabricate that. Why did you? And but he he's doing a lot. Luis Ocampo's doing a lot to put himself in the room with, with Brad a- and Angelina. <laughs> Maybe he's hoping he'll get adopted. You read some of these. That's I funny. also want to know how he got Brad and Angelina's email addresses or if he just took a stab at it and was like AngelinaJolie at gmail.com. <laughs> I bet it's her. Well, if you think that's weird, you want to hear plan B? Yes. Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, get back together. <laughs> Luis Ocampo's other big plan was to contact George Clooney. Yes! And get permission, and this is true, and get permission to use the actor's spy satellite because George Clooney is the founder of the Satellite Sentinel Program, a project that uses spy satellites to target terrorist organizations all across the world. What? Why? Oh my God! I George, no. Ocean's Eight was just a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, is if you read those emails, he's basically like, "George, you got to help me out." I mean, Jeez. in so many words, he says like, "George, Georgie, you gotta, baby, come hey, on, you got to help me." I make, make you an offer you can't refuse. Eat this orange slice. <laughs> so he, he, so, so this man who is the chief prosecutor. Basically, George Clooney responds to his emails by telling, by explaining to him all of the technological reasons for why that would not ever work. Instead of just being like, suck my dick from the back, he's just like, no, <laughs> yeah. here's a whole list of yeah. tech specs. And when that didn't work, Luis Ocampo went on a spree of just emailing any celebrity he could. And my favorite one was the only other one he got a response from was when he invited Sean Penn to come to a United Nations <laughs> See, dinner party. my brain was like, please be Corey Feldman. Please be Corey Feldman. <laughs> oh. I wouldn't be surprised. He, yeah. there was, he emailed all of these different celebrities. I think the first plan would have worked, especially because Brad and Angelina's dinner was going to be catered by Little Caesars. <laughs> Quit shaking the barbershop! <laughs> Tell me when to stop. I can't stop. I can't stop. stop. Say when. (laughs) It was a bloodbath. When I close my eyes, all I see is red sauce. (laughs) Well, that's the end of the episode, guys. Oh, God, man. We'll be back next week for some terrible hijinks. uh, It's just going to get weird, and it's going to make you reflect on that time you spent 30 bucks to buy stickers and then didn't go out and do shit. Yeah, I mean... We were, like, the only way to describe how we felt about Coney 2012 at the time is hot and ready. (laughs) Holy (laughs) shit. It was a riff so good you jumped out of your seat. I love it. I love everything about it. Oh, I stood up too fast and got dizzy. (laughs) (laughs) If you guys want to see me, I'm roast battling Billy Anderson tomorrow at the comedy store. Oh, yeah. And I am hot and ready. (laughs) Girl, yeah. Bring it around. Uh, 
You can find out more about it on Twitter at Paige Wesley or on Instagram at Rampage Wesley. Yes. Uh, I'm going to use part of my plugging time to say that you guys definitely want to check out that battle either in person or on Periscope. Because these are two battlers that beat the shit out of me. And they're both fun to watch and yeah. need to see it. Fantastic, Dad. Fantastic. He's going to call me fat. I'm going to make fun of his pale skin. It's going <laughs> to be great. So if you want to see me and you're in the Pacific Northwest area, at this point, uh, when this comes out, I will be in the great city of Seattle where I'll be... Um, just performing all around. I'm not going to give you every date. What you should do is follow me on social media, uh, on Instagram and Twitter, at Mondo Does Stuff, M-A-N-D-O, Does Stuff, all one word, and you can see all of the shows that I have this week in Seattle, Washington. I don't have anything planned except to uh, have the house to myself and pet the dog a lot. Maybe catch some <laughs> Pokemon. If you want to get at me with your sweet, sweet Pokemon riffs. Uh, She's playing Pokemon Go. I'm we playing, should, we should playing mention this. Pokemon Go constantly. It's a problem. Uh, get at me on all the things at Sundress Comic. <gasps> Pokemon Go away. Pokemon, I will. <laughs> And if you want to follow the show and see some of the sick riffs we have or some of the sweet gifts you guys have sent us, because it's honestly absolutely beautiful. What I, I got a Nazi coin. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, which is at Cult Podcast. Or on Twitter at Cult Podcast Show. You can also send us an email at Cult Podcast Show at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us actual stuff like... Um, Nazi coins. Send me more Nazi coins. Nazi I want to go back in time. But <laughs> I want to go back. No. You want to go back in time and buy what? A flag? Like no. what? Buy your way out of the camp. They would definitely throw yeah. you in. Yeah. As soon as I said I want to go back in time, I was like, no, you don't. You want to stay right here. For one of three reasons, as soon as I showed up, they'd just be like, ah, and shoot me. And it's like, one, the lightning, because I go back Terminator style. Two, I'm naked, Terminator style. <laughs> three, brown skin. Uh, Not Terminator style, just scary. <laughs> if you are Patrick Stump and listening to this for some reason... <laughs> And you want to send me love letters that I can read out loud on the show, send them to 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237, Like Like the the Shining, Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. Yes. And if you want our email, our physical address, and a whole lot more information, then you can go to our website, which is coldpodcastshow.com. And I think for this one... I'm going to say don't drink the red sauce. <laughs> oh, God. It's so good. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. I'm fucking leading here. <laughs>